This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Khanem. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, a lot going on right now. I mean, above and beyond, you know, all the catastrophes with the Delta variant and the situation in Afghanistan, we're going to be talking about um, what's happening closer to Palestine in addition to some other things. You've did a really amazing uh, interview with a uh, human rights attorney, Stanley Cohen, who's trying to get the Israelis removed from a seat at the African Union as an observer, which I didn't even know about. You know, it seems kind of crazy that the Israelis have an observer status at the African Union when they're so involved in destabilizing the region. Then we're going to talk a little bit about the shenanigans that the Democrats are, are doing in Congress with the Iron Dome appropriation money taking it out, putting it back in, you know, using the question of Palestine as a pawn to get other things done. And then finally, and I mean, this is part of our ongoing discussion, we're going to talk a little bit about a Iraq war vet, Michael Preisner, who actually attempted to disrupt President Bush's, uh, it wasn't really a mea culpa, it was kind of his attempt to rewrite history. Uh, which all presidents do, obviously, but Bush's attempt to rewrite what happened in Iraq and Afghanistan is a is especially disturbing, and we'll we'll have a discussion about that too. Yeah, so just uh, part of the so-called Abraham Accords. I mean, that's why you said you most people don't know about Israel's uh, sneaking the back doorway to the African right. Union as an observer. I mean, imagine this is a country that practices apartheid, that has been labeled as an apartheid regime by Human Rights Watch, by its own human rights organization, Beit Salem, and it faces the largest objection from where? From South Africa, which exactly. suffered under apartheid yet through bribery and all kinds of things, which uh, attorney Stanley Cohen will talk about. Uh, so uh, attorney Stanley, Stanley Cohen is a human rights attorney. He's, a, he's an activist also. He, along with a group of lawyers, activists, and researchers uh, from various countries. It's, not, it's, it's an international, basically, attempt, by the way. They submitted a petition to the African uh, Commission on Human and People, People's Rights, this September, September 16th, basically demanding that the African Union rethink it and revoke its recent decision to admit Israel as an observer. Let's watch uh, Stanley Cohen. Israel was admitted to the African Union as an observer state in July this year, a decision that came as a shock to several member countries given Israel's sustained and ongoing repression of the Palestinian people. A group of lawyers, activists, and researchers from various countries submitted a petition to the African Commission on Human and People's Rights on September 16, demanding that the African Union revoke its recent decision to admit Israel as an observer state. Parties to the petition include the Palestine Solidarity Alliance, Johannesburg-based think tank Media Review Network, U.S.-based lawyer Stanley Cohen and South African lawyers Nadim Muhammad and Shabnam Mayet, as well as other signatories from Belgium, Ireland, and the United States. Joining us to discuss this and more, attorney Stanley Cohen. Welcome to Arab Talk, Stanley. Thank you so very much. It's good to speak with you, and uh, welcome to your audience. So before we get start get started in the legal case, just in the past few months, Israel was described as an apartheid state, not only by the Human Rights Watch, but also by an Israeli human rights organization, B'Tselem, yet it managed to achieve observer status at the African Union. How did it manage to, to do this? Israel has spent the better part of its entire existence developing, honing, largely corrupt relationships with various European colonial project states in Africa. Uh, it was one of the last states to support apartheid in South Africa. It exchanged technology for nuclear weapons to the apartheid regime in exchange for resources it needed for its own nuclear program. 
It has sold literally billions of dollars worth of weapons, including weapons that were used in the genocide in Rwanda. It's involved itself in Angola, in a variety of other states. So it has an old and almost exclusively corrupt relationship with either colonial projects that were still in existence on the ground in the continent of Africa, or which are surviving, functioning today through proxy states with corruption, with bribes, with paybacks, with weapons. So Israel felt comfortable enough to move. And interestingly, they didn't move when the commission, when the African Union was sitting, but they moved after 20 years of failing to obtain observer status uh, to get that status by an executive fiat by one or two representatives of the African Union without a formal vote, without a debate, without a discussion. So it's another example of Israel sneaking in through the back door what it can never accomplish because of its lack of integrity and its history of war crimes and apartheid through the front door. So in the, I think it's a 200-page petition, it is stated that, and I'm quoting here, the human rights violations committed by Israel are contrary to the spirit and purpose of the Charter of the African Union, particularly relating to issues of self-determination and decolonization as Israel continues to illegally occupy Palestine in violations of its international obligations and multiple UN uh, resolutions. Does this mean that the African Union is violating its own charter? Well, it, it, it means that those people that through executive fiat embraced Israel and opened the door to walk in are in clear violations of, of its own charter. If you take a look as in the introduction to our brief, we just cite 10 or 12 of the constitutions of a cross-section of African states in the North, the South, the West, the East. And if you follow the clear read of their own constitutional edict, their own protection, their own intent and purpose, it is a clear violation of their own charter to permit a serial human rights abuser such as Israel to come in to play any role in the discussions and the meetings and the politics and the strategy of the African states, of the African Union. So just to make it clear, uh, I mean, the petitioners don't seek really justice, that, you know, from the African Union on the issue of uh, war crimes against Palestine by Israel, right? That's not, that's not, that's not, the, that's not the objective. But the objective is just really what to... What's really the, the real objective? Well, keep in mind that there are a number of African states in the African Union that have your universal jurisdiction, that have brought war crimes prosecutions under their state constitution, under the African Union, in essence, the charter, against Israel for violations of human rights, for violations of war crimes, for violations of the law of war, for apartheid. This is a, an effort that says to the African Union, follow your own constitution. Follow your own law, follow your own procedure, which has evolved as a result of 100 years of European colonial projects. Do not embrace, do not welcome, do not admit this serial human rights abuser to participate in a process that has been fought for 100 years to obtain. So the justice my clients, our clients, and the other persons involved in seeking is application of the African Union Charter application of the constitutional edicts of the 54 or 55 states of the African Union. So in the complaint, you, uh, you list uh, several egregious uh, violations stemming from basically Israeli apartheid. Uh, you talk about disposition uh, uh, from the land, denial of citizenship and rights, denial of freedom of movement, econo economic subjugation, political uh, representation. Uh, please talk about these. Sure. Every one of, oh, look, obviously we speak about the, the slaughter in Gaza. We speak about the, the, the system, the, un, the unconstitutional, the illegal system of detention. We speak about, and it's interesting because we compare those, the numbers of those detained, arrested, prosecuted, and have lost their lives in South Africa under apartheid versus in Palestine under apartheid. And it's 20 to one in terms of the nightmare of, of, of Palestine. But in terms of the other complaints that we file, they parallel the classic traditional findings that applied to South Africa. All of the fundamental linchpins of what Israel maintains, whether it is in 
the classic occupied territory, quote unquote, post 67, or for the so-called 48 Palestinians, it is identical to the very tripwires, the very reasons, the very causes which led the world to boycott South Africa, to break the back of apartheid, to refuse to accept it in the world community. So what we are reminding the commission and what we are reminding the African Union is you are embracing not just apartheid and not just apartheid that recently has come of age, what's been there for decades, but you are welcoming in the very type of political, social, and civil society that you rejected in South Africa, that you rejected in what was uh, uh, in Zimbabwe, that was rejected in, 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 in African states throughout the African continent, where whether it was the, the French, whether it was the English, whether it was the Germans, whether it was the Portuguese, we must remember that for well over a century, it was the home base of European colonial projects which imposed, which enforced, which applied the very linchpin of apartheid, of discrimination, of colonial oppression that is today and has been for 73 years, Israel. What do, what, what do you think is the reason behind Israel's really trying to expand its influence over Africa? I mean, what's, what's its main goal? Well, there are two separate goals. Number one is Israel remains one of the world's largest, one of the world's most prolific weapon manufacturers and salesmen, salespersons. But they sell, they have a contract with one of the member states of the African Union, I believe, for $1.6 billion this year. They have sold billions of dollars to the African continent over the years in terms of the despots, in terms of despotic regimes, in terms of weapons, now in terms of surveillance techniques. So there's two benefits for Israel. Number one, you have the economic incentive where they drop billions of dollars of weapons, which provokes internal dispute and in fact, civil war in some location. And then there is this attempt, and you see it with the so-called Abraham Accords, to develop relationships, to develop warming relationships with Arab and Middle Eastern states in an effort to say, you see, we can exist. We will deal with this justly. So it's part of the Israeli propaganda mechanism. It's part of the Israeli approach to basically cover what it's doing to Palestinians through a wrap or embrace of the African Union saying, look, if the 50 some odd states of the African Union would welcome us, would embrace us, would say we're good people, then why won't the rest of the world where their problems, where they think we are problematic in terms of Palestine, enter into it? We'll discuss it. We'll work on it. We'll talk about it. Meanwhile, the dispossession, the destruction, the murder, the detention, the land theft goes on and on and on. Israel has always sought to expand the cover for its war crimes in Palestine. So what are the remedies? Because I know you've listed some remedies. I mean, what at the end of the day, uh, what, what are the remedies that you're seeking from that? Well, well keep in mind, South Africa announced just yesterday or two days ago that it planned with a group of other states to bring to the floor of the African Union meeting, the legislature, in, 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 in essence, in October, to push this issue, to debate this issue, to discuss this issue, and to move to have Israel's status stripped. We seek a number of relief. In the interim, we seek what's known as a demand for discovery, which asks for the background, the circumstances, the agreements, the deals, whether there's any payoffs, whether any contract, whether any agreements between those in the African Union that are saying welcome to Israel and Israel. We ask for an opportunity to engage in an oral argument and invite Israeli lawyers or Israel itself to join us to debate the issue, to provide the broadest brush of information about facts and circumstances in Africa. We ask for an interim relief of suspending the observer status until it's resolved. We ask for a permanent relief from the commission that says strip them of their observer status. But they have, then again, the high court of the African Union, which is a classic civil traditional court, can take this case. There can be full hearings, as there could be before the commission, with witnesses, with testimony, with, 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 with a judicial process that could end up passing a law that says, no, you can't do this. They're not allowed in. And as can the African Union legislature. The body itself can turn around in October and in November and say, we're reversing this. This was a decision made by a handful of people that have very close relationships to Israel. We're reversing it. We're stripping Israel of, of its observer status and removing it. So on one hand, I mean, as I started earlier, you know, Human Rights Watch, 
said that Israel is an apartheid state or has apartheid practices. But at the same time, Israel is making headways with the so-called Abraham Accords, with uh, infiltrating the African Union. And uh, we, there are polls now that show, for example, a lot of uh, American Jews are kind of waking up and saying no to Israel. Yesterday, I wanted to get your opinion on this in, in the Israeli newspaper Haaretz. Uh, there was an article uh, that one of uh, Israel's uh, iconic Zionist families and former member of the Shin Bet Yaakov Sharet, of course, is 95 years old, has become now anti-Zionist and encourages people to leave Israel uh, the, the title of the article was pretty shocking, really. Israel was born in sin. I mean, this is what he described Israel as. Do you feel that there is a shift now, I mean, in this kind of sentiment towards the state of Israel? Well, what I find paradoxical is, you know, for 100 years, and more particularly for 73 years, Israel has tried to conflate Judaism with Zionism, as if this 3,000-year-old or 5,000-year-old faith was floating around looking for a leadership to tell them what to do and who they were and what they are, that all of a sudden showed up in the, in, in, in the guise of basically agnostics from Poland, atheists from Europe who announced it. So what's interesting is it is the rhetoric, the propaganda, the Hasbara, the sale has worked only so long. And the paradox is what began as we speak for Jews, we represent Jews, we protect Jews, Increasingly, more and more Jews, especially young Jews in the West, are rejecting this, have come to grips with the fact that Israel is, is a rogue state, commits gross violations of human rights and violations of international law, and embraces an apartheid state. So they are beginning to move away from the, from the embrace and support of the next generation of young Jews throughout the world who are saying, no, we want no part of this. We want no support for this Zionist entity. And they're finding comfort in evangelical Christians, perhaps in the African Union, perhaps in other areas. So we have this move from we speak for and protect Judaism to now an acknowledgement that we speak for and protect ourselves. And we'll make a deal with any devil anywhere that we can. We'll sell weapons. We'll bribe representatives of government. We'll have corrupt leaders. We'll, we'll provide surveillance information to states to spy on their civilians. We will support despotic regimes. We will insinuate ourselves into war crimes just so that we can survive. Not as if they call it a nation state, and yes, it's built upon the notion of the superiority of Judaism, but increasingly it is clear this is a national, political, European colonial project, which at all costs will do anything that it can to survive. And now as increasing numbers of Jews, old Jews, for example, Rest in peace, my parents, who were Zionists as young kids and raised money for the Zionist state before, well before 1948, as they aged, they rejected it. They said, this is a bad place, doing bad things. Zionism is a bad situation, and we reject it. So that is happening increasingly. And with that, Israel is growing more and more desperate to develop new people to just blindly embrace the rhetoric, blindly ignore the facts that this is a monster state that has committed war crimes for 73 years and left to its own device will continue in perpetuity. Do you feel there is a shift uh, within the uh, American government? I mean, uh, also on this topic, uh, also within the past 48 hours, uh, uh, a, a small group of progressive Democrats, uh, you know, objected to giving one more uh, billion dollars to Israel in military aid. I mean, this is uh, practically unheard of uh, in the past decades. Yeah, I think there's a change underfoot. You've got increasingly younger, more astute, more experienced political people in Congress. Uh, they come from communities of political activists. They come from communities of progressives. They come from communities that understand what Israel has done. They understand very well that the U.S. is complicit, that this is a violation of the Arms Export Control Act, that you reach a point, the disconnect of saying to Afghanistan, of saying to Iraq, of saying to, to Libya, of saying to Syria, we're removing, we're, we're detaching, we can no longer become involved or maintain a presence in, in these terrible situations at the same time that we will blindly embrace a Zionist killing machine is palpable, it is 
declare it is painful. And increasingly, younger representatives in Congress, people that are more astute, people that understand the big picture about who Israel is, what Israel is, and what it has done with almost $300 billion in U.S. money, which has supported war crimes, genocide, crimes against humanity, and apartheid, we are beginning to see a shift. We are beginning to see a move by younger congressional representatives. And I suspect Israel understands very well that over the next three, four, five years, unless there are some very dramatic breaks with its history, with its practices, unless there is a true move towards liberation, justice, and equality, and self-determination for Palestinians, they are going to see an end of this, this, this dutiful blind support by the U.S. Congress. Stanley Cohen, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me and my best to all the listeners. That's the voice in the face of uh, human rights attorney Stanley Cohen. Really great interview, Jamal. And I think, again, most, I mean, most people wouldn't know that, but I didn't even know it. And I, you know, I try to stay on top of the news. But in apartheid state, having a seat at the table as an observer with the African Union seems not just hypocritical, but really kind of dangerous in terms of potential destabilization in the region. And uh, as you rightly pointed out, South Africa, which is a lar- one of the largest critics of the apartheid state in Israel, uh, is part of the African Union. So this was a very eye-opening and compelling interview you did with Stanley Cohen. I mean, here is a continent, Jess, that suffered from various colonialists, uh, you know, be it uh, Britain, France, uh, Italy, Belgium, you name it. They've all had a foothold in Africa. I mean, I mean, to bring a colonialist regime, Israel, to bring an apartheid regime to be an observer, it's absurd. It is absurd. But here's the here's the thing, Jamal. You know, it's part of uh, Israel's attempt to whitewash itself on the international stage. And the Abraham Accords and the agreements with Jordan and Egypt are all attempts to whitewash the uh, apartheid regime's image uh, globally as well and especially here in the United States. So, you know, they... You know, this this came up also this week, which is equally disturbing. You know, you had the king of Morocco and one of his foreign ministers saying that Israel needs to be a full partner in the Middle East peace process. So all this kind of hypocritical, uh, really dangerous political statements attempting to whitewash a really kind of, you know, not just human rights abuses, but, uh, you know, uh, criminal human rights abuses that the Israelis have been engaged with now over 73 years. This is all their attempt to whitewash that away, to attempt to rewrite the history, to present itself in a different light. So, you know, kudos to Stanley Cohen and his group for calling out the Israelis for this, you know, grotesque act of hypocrisy with the African Union. Well, I mean, also the timing could not have been more uh, transparent and obvious. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, exactly. With Israel, like as as we've talked about it on this show, and we've had experts talk about it, when Israel was de- declared as an apartheid state, when Israel is facing its own issues from its, from within, from its own human rights organizations, right? When you have the international, uh, the ICC is looking into Israeli war crimes, all these things, exactly. And then you have this exactly. global, what we call global Hasbara campaign to what you're saying, what whitewash Israel's image, you know, be it the Abraham Accords or what they're trying to offer the King of Morocco, you know, it's all about now, it's like, it's so transactional. I mean, you know, uh, why don't you accept Israel and we'll give you more money, more more USAID, more weapons, what have you. I mean, that's the game that they've, they've been playing. Right. So here's my statement, Jamal. You want to do transactional politics? Fine. Do transactional politics. Then let the uh, people who believe in human rights and justice and who believe in the International Criminal Court use our form of transactional justice by engaging in boycott, divestment, and sanctioning of the Israeli apartheid regime. 
you want to do your form of buying off the king of Morocco and and buying off the African Union and buying off uh, what's happening in South Sudan and you want to buy off the, you know, CC in Egypt, fine, be transactional. But then we have the right as people who believe in justice and human rights and the and the International Criminal Court to use the BDS as our transactional method to hold the Israeli apartheid regime accountable. So you can't have it both ways. One word, double standards. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly I mean, this right. is what brought down apartheid South Africa. Exactly. And, That's right. And, and if you dare to practice, and we've seen what happened to Ben and Jerry's, right? We've exactly. seen what happens to... Professors uh, at uh, universities getting fired from just by saying no to to Israel. You know, I mean, I mean, this is this is the hypocrisy. I would I would say double standards and hypocrisy. So it's two words, really: hypocrisy and double standards. Absolutely, and that's that's what's going on uh, on this topic. Uh, just uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's another thing about double standards. Speak, speaking and of speak, hypocrisy, speaking let's of, look. Let's look at the hypocrisy. Democrats and the Congress and their so, and their hypocrisy. I mean, you know, here we are uh, trying to recover from a devastating pandemic. Millions of Americans lost their jobs. Millions of Americans are still looking for jobs. Businesses have filed for bankruptcies. We have all kinds of issues. We have Congress refused, no, no, I should say, actually, it's the administration refused to forgive student loans, which makes sense. Like, we, we need to educate people. They refused to do that, right? That's right. Uh, actually, Congress wants to do that, but there is a resistance from the administration. Yet, we are willing to write another billion-dollar check to, to Israel. For the Iron Dome, of all things. Yeah, yeah, so... so, so now, um, we briefly spoke about that because that was starting, as, as you know, uh, progressives uh, in Congress, when this issue came about the replenishing, basically, Israeli-American-made missiles to Israel for their Iron Dome, giving them the money for that. Uh, progressives in Congress, and I should mention them, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Betty McCollum, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley. Pramila Jaipal, and Jamal Bowman, among right. others, they said, no way. Right. You know, we're not, you're not going to sneak in the billion dollars, you know, as we're trying to balance, you know, do gymnastics, basically. I mean, you know, it's all debt, like raising the debt ceiling. It's just putting us, sinking us more into debt. I don't exactly. know. Exactly. Do you have a printer for money in your house, Jess? <laughs> I don't. But, well, I think that's what the government does every time they need money, just print, print more $100 bills. And, and then, they, you know, these Congress people, they have the audacity to just say, okay, let's give part of that, let's give a billion dollars to, to Israel. So the progressives said no way, and they basically stalled this bill uh, to avoid a, shut, a, a shutdown because otherwise, you know, every every year we get to that point where, right. where we have to raise the ceiling. We're just getting more and more in debt to avoid a government shutdown just. That's right. And so now there's a new trick. They said, okay, okay, we won't put it within this bill. You know, let's... Have a standalone <laughs> bill. Standalone bill. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yes. A standalone yes. bill. So, so they've managed, and I feel really bad, and I uh, commend these congressmen and congresswomen for their action to do that, to, for, for a change, which is like unheard of to say, no, we're not going to give a carte blanche to Israel every time you ask for it. But unfortunately, you know, they are a minority. Well, they're a minority and they're being pushed on by Nancy Pelosi and the other Democrats and all this hypocrisy around, you know, ending endless wars and not. And, you know, you listen to Biden's speech at the United Nations. We have to come together. We we can't fight these endless wars. Well, the Israelis have been in an endless war against Palestine and against Palestinians 
going on 73 years. And these progressive members of Congress, they're not even they're not even asking in this particular instance to stop all, you know, uh, uh, funding of the apartheid regime, which ultimately is where we need to be. They're really focusing on one thing and one thing alone, the extra $1 billion for the Iron Dome. And you're right, we have to give him credit for at least calling it out for what it is, confronting it. But, you know, the majority of the Congress and the Senate is going to find a way to give this high technology weaponry back to the Israelis and give them another billion dollars. It's it's kind of it's at a level of hypocrisy, Jamal. I mean, I don't even know what to call it anymore, except they're being held hostage. I mean, we know this. Well, the- I mean, this is I mean, you, you're 100 percent correct. Unfortunately, Israel is going to get what it's asking for. And this effort is led by House Appropriations Chair Rosa DeLauro uh, of Connecticut, Connecticut Democrat, who introduced the bill. And she's acting as if Israel, I mean, if you, I'm going to read some of her statements. She's acting as if Israel is not the occupier (laughs) and it's not the aggressor. She says, the United States commitment to the security of our friend and ally Israel is ironclad replenishing the interceptors used to protect Israel's from attacks is our legal, legal and moral responsibility. No, your legal and moral responsibility to the, is to the American public, not exactly. to a foreign country, is, exactly. is, is, to, is to the millions who are suffering in this country. I mean, to see this, just number one, I mean, of course, we see the hypocrisy and, 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 and double standards. You're talking about a country. And I had, I'm like, I was like, you know what? Let's see what is this. I mean, uh, but by the way, before we get to, get into this, the um, her supporters, we should name them. Uh, number one, of course, they did this. This announcement came amid pressure from the Israel lobby. You know, of you course. guessed it. APEC, who else? Of and course. its surrogates in Congress, such as representatives Ted Deutsch, Kathy Manning, Josh Gottheimer, uh, Richie Torres, Brad Schneider. And there is a whole list because I was like trying to see who are pushing, who are lining behind uh, the House Appropriations Chair. And, uh, and of course, uh, the other thing is because you have to read sometimes between the lines and what happened. Hoyer, you know, the... Steny uh, Hoyer, right. Yeah, Steny Hoyer uh, announcement, and he's, he's the um, U.S. House Majority Leader, Steny Hoyer. Announcement came because he made that announcement. We're going to go through, you know, another, another bill. We'll let this thing go. After he spoke to who? The Israeli Foreign Minister, Yair Lapid. There was a phone call. So and this is all this on Tuesday night. And during the phone call, Lapid was reassured that the move was a technical delay. I mean, here he's giving him kind of like the inner discussion, like within Congress. Don't worry, the billion dollars, you're going to have the billion dollars. This is just a technical delay uh, related to discussions over the U.S. debt ceiling and that the defense funding would be approved at a later date. So that goes back to your other point, Jamal, that you have a member of Congress reassuring uh, a, a member, uh, 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 you know, a representative of another country, you know, not even, we're not talking about, we're back to this thing, like you said, are we thinking about the 30 million American children who go to bed hungry every night? Are we thinking about the homeless issue? Are we thinking about all the people who've lost their jobs? The people who don't have access to healthcare in the middle of the Delta pandemic, the COVID pandemic and the Delta variant? No, we're bending over backwards to reassure a foreign minister or a defense minister or a prime minister of another country that regardless of what's happening to our citizens and our mandate to protect and serve U.S. citizens, we're going to give you that billion dollars. Do you really understand what a billion dollars can do for what's happening in the United States right now across all sectors? So, Steny Hoyer, okay, and uh, all of the other, 
you know, bootlickers of of the appropriations chair who who want to, you know, put aside what's happening in the United States and the children who don't have enough food and are all the other crises that are going around just to give the Israelis uh, a billion more dollars. Uh, we don't even we have to come up with new words for it, Jamal, because it's beyond hypocrisy. It really is. It, if you look at the damage that it does to American strategic interests and the damage that it does in terms of how it promotes the killing of more Palestinian civilians, women, and children, there's got to be a word for this that goes above and beyond just hypocrisy because this is not just hypocrisy. Well, just uh, there's another bit of information maybe you're not aware of, or at least I know a lot of our audience they're not aware of, and this is information from the World Bank. This is about the gross domestic uh, product, the uh, GDP uh, in Israel. Do you know that Israel is ahead of our neighbors to the north, Canada? That Israel's this is from the this is from the World Bank. Israel GDP, GDP per capita is forty three thousand six hundred eighty nine dollars wow. for twenty twenty. This is based wow. on twenty twenty. Is ahead of Canada which is 43,278. 43, it's ahead of New Zealand, which is 41,127. It's ahead of the UK, which is $40,406. Wow. Wow. So when we're talking about USAID, you are giving money to a wealthy country. Just think about it. Israel is ranked now ahead of Canada. Unbelievable. Ahead of our neighbors. Do we give Canada billions of dollars every year? No. I mean, it's ahead of the UK. No. Imagine we, that. No. So, so it's not like you're giving, you know, even it's unfair when we even we criticize the U.S. military aid that is given to Egypt, for example, because Egypt or Jordan, second recipient. Egypt is a poor country. Just... Egypt has a hundred million people, right? Who live below? Most of them live below the poverty line. That's right. You're not talking about. I mean, Egypt. Egypt has hundred million people to Israel's eight point six million, even including the West Bank. Wherever you don't have fifteen million, you know this is including even the West Bank, right? Well, Jamal, I think you know you're bringing up. A really critical point. I mean, we can do all the political analyses we want, but if you look at the the raw economic realities, this kind of largesse and money being handed over to the Israelis to buy more weapons and to fund their war machine from a strictly economic point of view, you're right, doesn't make sense given that level of GDP. But let's remember what President Biden said, you know, we are, are for, he basically, and I'm paraphrasing him and Tony Blink, uh, Anthony Blinken, who said, our foreign policy is going to be based on morality, doing the right thing, and not based on, you know, anything else. I mean, you know, giving the Israelis another billion on top of the 3.5 billion, on top of the loan guarantees, it's what, what is it, seven to eight billion dollars a year when you include all of the support in its many forms to one of the wealthiest, wealthiest, wealthiest countries in the world. I just want to end with, with one, one thing because we, we want to talk about also George W. How can we forget? I mean, yes. it's been a while, right? So if you wonder, ladies and gentlemen, why Israel has national health insurance and Americans don't here is the answer. I mean, really. I mean, we. I mean, this is even amidst this pandemic. We know the big issue is that millions of Americans are uninsured, right? Israel has 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 a national health insurance. We know Canada has a has a national health in, insurance. The United States does not. I mean, we, we we just give money to a country that has national health insurance that is uh, economically better than Canada. I mean, it's it's kind of. It's kind of ridiculous. I mean, I don't know if it's the hypocrisy. Maybe we should add the word stupidity. Well, I think, yeah, I think that's right, Jamal. And I think stupidity and lack of foresight and lack of ability to understand the strategic interest, because when push comes to shove, 
the congressmen and women, all of the congressional leaders are just thinking about one thing. They're not thinking about what's in the best interest of this country or of the people who are suffering. They're thinking about how can I get reelected in the next two years, in the next six years, whether a senator or a congressperson. Their only thing that they're thinking about is I need money. That's the transactional nature of our politics. Now, speaking of transactional nature. So um, unless we break that cycle of how APAC and its surrogates threaten, and basically, let's be clear, Jamal, they threaten congressional representatives and senators, uh, you know, very clearly, if you want to get reelected, you know what you have to do. I mean, and at times it's it's that explicit. So unless we break that you know, uh, APAC and its surrogates are going to have this stranglehold for quite some time. This is not in the best interest of the United States. You and I have been saying this for years. The amount of destabilization that the Israelis bring to the Middle East, to Africa, to other parts of the region are so damaging. It is not in the United States' best interest. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Uh, let's visit uh, George W. Bush. Oh, speaking yes. of whitewashing, speaking of whitewashing, <laughs> you, you know, let's, uh, let's talk about I George mean, Bush. Once in a while, he he shows up, and 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 uh, recently, actually, you know, uh, George W. Uh, has been hosted by popular talk shows. He goes to different talk shows. He's like right, and especially during uh, Trump, people kind of like missed him. And they were looking at him as this cuddly bear. You know, if you look at the interviews, no questions about Iraq, no questions about Afghanistan, no questions about the millions of people who died, etc. They give him a pass. and The war on terror. And the war on terror, he just comes in and, and, and shows them that he now, he has taken up painting and he's auctioning his, uh, um, you know, portraits and, and so forth. So uh, he was in, I think, Los Angeles at a uh, speaker's tour, and uh, his speech was interrupted. And uh, we're going to show this, and so you can listen to uh, what this veteran had to say. When are you going to apologize for the million Iraqis that are dead because you lied? You lied about weapons of mass destruction. You lied about connections to 9-11. You lied about Iraq being a threat. You sent me to Iraq. You sent me to Iraq in 2003. My friends are dead. Joshua Castile. You killed people. You lied. You lied about WMDs. A million Iraqis are dead because you lied. My friends are dead because you lied. You need to apologize. Apologize. Wow. Well, thank you, Michael Preisner. Thank you for your service and thank you for standing up and confronting the whitewashing and the attempt to rewrite history about, you know, what George W. Bush did in Iraq, what he did in Afghanistan, what he did in the name of the war on terror, what he did in terms of the million Iraqi children who died and the hundreds of thousands of Iraqis who died and the depleted uranium and the destabilization of the region and what a disaster the Bush administration has bid for civil liberties even to this day. That took a lot of courage, Jamal. Yeah, and 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 it's kind of it came at the right time because right. as you know, the United States commemorated the uh, horrific events of 9/11 and and then I guess George Bush was asked to speak about this and he's been speaking about it even though like I've seen him even during the uh, I mean aside from his kind of like cuddly bear tours but he's he was a critical of Trump so on, on few things he was right but he has no right to kind of to talk about our or or as this veteran as you mentioned Mike a prisoner uh, who basically asked him to apologize Absolutely. He, you know, he starts he starts yelling at him, Mr. Bush, when are you going to apologize for the million Iraqis that are dead because you lied? He, he, he confronts him and he said, you lied about weapons of mass destruction. You lied about the connection to 9-11. And he was sent. He said, I've lost friends. You know, he served in Iraq because of a lie. Of course, uh, 
they took him out of the hall, but the video uh, became viral and it's been circulating on the internet uh, since last Monday. Yeah. Since this Monday. Since this Monday, actually, it's been just making the rounds uh, on the internet. That's why I wanted to talk about this. Well, I think I think it's very appropriate to talk about Jamal, and you know, and uh, you know, let let you know where does it begin? I mean, it begins with you know as far back as George Washington, our first president, but Bill Clinton has been on a let's rewrite history tour, despite you know a documentary that came out about his affair with Monica Lewinsky. George George Bush has and his administration have had the most arguably the most negative impact on destabilizing the Middle East and the region as well as the attack on civil liberties and its impact on what's been happening to all of us in terms of the surveillance culture that still exists to this day than any than anybody else in you know at least recent history and he has the audacity to criticize you know, President Biden for the way he pulled out of, you know, Afghanistan. It was really kind of crazy that he had the audacity to do that. When he and his, you know, administration, Jamal, they laid waste to Iraq and one of the greatest civilizations, you know, of humankind laid waste to it, laid, you know, tons of depleted uranium on the people of Iraq, committed war crimes and atrocities in Iraq and have left the Iraqis to this day, you know, in complete, uh, you know, catastrophic, destabilized, you know, government unable to really function. So one voice can make a difference. I mean, how can we how can we let George Bush off the hook and let him go around being a cuddly bear selling art and criticizing the way we left Afghanistan when he started the war in Afghanistan? Jamal, he's the one. <laughs> That started well, I mean, the, the crazy thing about it, Jess, okay, if you don't want to uh, apologize to uh, to the Afghans and you don't want to apologize to the Iraqis, apologize to the vets and their families, all these people who who died because of your lie. Apo- right. How about apologizing about lying to the American people? How about apologizing to, to lying at the United Nations Security Council when he sent Powell, Colin Powell, to show his uh, so-called satellite photos and right. and discuss that uh, uranium mobile, and and, yeah, the and mobile, yellow cake was the mobile being units. Trans- yes, yeah, you joke. know they concocted they concocted a, a lie that only exists in films, you know, and movies, and they they've never come forward. I mean, they've never come forward and say, you know, they, they they've never apologized. I I, th- I think one time I heard Colin Powell, he he came close to apologizing. He but never he did, though, Jamal. He never and then did. he said something like, "Oh, we got wrong intel." Who's who gave you the wrong intel? It's, I mean, wrong intel. Yeah, I mean, well, is that is yes. that his excuse? Go and bomb a country like to the Stone Age because you received wrong intel. And and by the way, Jamal, just to add. Insult to injury, Condoleezza Rice, within the last week or two, was interviewed. She said the same thing. We got wrong intel. Well, the reality is, if you actually go back, they did get the right intel. They got accurate intel. Um, Condoleezza Rice, in fact, got the memo and the intel about Osama bin Laden and, you know, airplanes attacking U.S. Uh, the U.S. homeland. They got all that. What they did, Jamal, is chose to ignore the intelligence and chose to only focus on one aspect of the intelligence, which to- turned out to be false. So when when Colin Powell or Condoleezza Rice say they got the wrong intel, it's it's bogus. It's a complete yeah. Well, because uh, I listen. I covered that war. I know everything that happened during that time. That's right. I know when they sent the international inspectors, and then international inspectors That's came right. back, and they said we found nothing. They right. were going all over the place with their equipment and looking for radiation, any signs nothing. of uh, nothing. They found nothing. So you know what their answer was then? Well. We've gotten rid of a dictator. 
I remember that. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. They shifted the attention. They tried to kind of shift the attention. Oh, we like we've done everyone. We've done the Iraqis a uh, big favor. We've gotten rid of, rid of a dictator. That's one of their lies. The other lie, they tried to make the connection between Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden, which, by the way, is a joke. Uh, it's a joke because Saddam Hussein was against anyone who resembled an Osama bin Laden. You know, he's not an Islamist. He's a uh, socialist, you know, but definitely he was not going to ally himself. But he, uh, and he, but he, and he also killed a lot of the uh, Al-Qaeda-like types in Iraq when he was yeah, in power. Al-Qaeda only came to Iraq. After they got rid of Osama. After. 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 After yeah. they killed uh, Saddam Hussein, I mean, exactly. after the Americans went into into Iraq, so they did not exist. Yeah, he was a brutal dictator and a regime and what have you, but has nothing to do with Al Qaeda, had nothing to do with 9/11, and had nothing. And and his nuclear uh, program has stopped for years. Uh, he abandoned that program, and 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 look what they've done. Look yeah. what George Bush basically authorized. Exactly. And so when George Bush criticizes uh, President Biden, and, he, and trust me, Biden deserves criticism. That's not what I'm saying. But it's like the pot calling the kettle black, right? We are. So I have a question for you quickly before you get into that a, yeah, a little yeah, quiz. This is um, the most viral video for George W. Bush since when? Let me ask you. Oh, I think it's uh, another viral video. When he declared uh, mission accomplished. No, actually, that was a big one, a biggie. But there was one that went even more viral. Which one? Since the Iraqi journalist threw a shoe at him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I was like thinking, which, you know, what video made it made more hits or views? And actually, you know, that it, that's got to be one of my all-time favorite videos. That that actually, actually, that video uh, spread millions and hundreds of millions of times over the internet. Uh, uh, and then this this one now, since that time, because George Bush has disappeared, they haven't heard of him that much, except he's, like I said, going to these talk shows. And this one uh, is probably going to be just as big. Well, uh, we've, it looks like we've come to another end of uh, Arab Talk, Jamal. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com. You can download all our shows right there, and we will talk to you next week. We'll see you next week.